All right, welcome people to the Monster Baby Podcast. This is a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. You are joining us for episode number 21. Is that true? 21 it is. Episode number 21. My name is Lisa Rowland. And I'm Ted Maison. And we are your hosts. And this episode is a special episode because, well, I suppose it's our second time having a guest on the show, on the show, on, on the podcast. And this guest, however, we are not interviewing like we did with Patricia Ryan Madsen. No, just a conversation with him. His name is Troy Steinmetz, an outstanding human being. Both of us know him through the Stanford Improv community. Other things that are remarkable about him are that he will be a contestant on Jeopardy. He left the same day we recorded this. He left to go down to L.A., to film his hopefully multiple episodes of Jeopardy, we won't know until May or something. That's right. It, it filmed it rather it airs in April and May. So, and he loves puzzles. And many episodes ago, we had mentioned wanting to do puzzles. That's right. On the podcast, and he he contacted us and said, "If you ever do that episode, I want to do it with you." Sign me up. Yeah, and so and that's and that brings us to today's topic, which is puzzles. puzzles. Yeah. So we got into puzzles and we're going to share with you a bit of a game that we played with Troy to start but we talked about different types of puzzles and our experiences with puzzles when we were kids and of course how mindfulness and improvisation play into puzzle solving puzzle enjoying what do they show us about what do puzzles show us about living a good and healthy life yeah the puzzles that show up that we have to figure out in life yeah all sorts of them the way that this podcast starts out this episode starts out is different because we're going to we played a game with Troy at the at the beginning of the of our recording. time of the recording that is too long to to show you. I don't think it would. It, I don't think you'd have a good time. But we pulled some kind of cool stuff out of it as the podcast went by. So we wanted to give you a taste of it. So we're going to drop you into the middle of it. And right now we're going to set up for you what the game is. Yeah. So it's a game called Botticelli, and it's one that I historically play with my family at Christmas time, where each person who's there gets assigned a character, and they don't know who the character is, but it gets just taped to their back or to their front, just under their chin kind of thing. So everybody else knows who they are, but they don't. Uh, and each person has a different character. It could be fictional, could be uh, real, could be from history, imaginary, we don't know. And it's basically 20, it's basically 20 questions. You ask yes or no questions until you figure out who you are. And the, the answerer is supposed to be circumspect and not give more information than the person is asking for, but yeah. that's part of the fun. So. This time, Troy was Troy was on the hot seat. He was given Buzz Lightyear. He had to guess that he was Buz Lightyear, and he started out very methodically. Am I male? Am I living? Am I real? Kind of like figured it out systematically. Got super stuck after he realized that he was a superhero, mm -hmm. but was in neither worlds of Marvel nor or, or DC. He went through yeah, Spider Man, uh, Avengers, Iron Man, all of Marvel folks. Couldn't figure it out, and so so we will drop you into the game right before he gets a hint that that kind of gets him moving again after having gotten stuck on that how am I a superhero but I'm not in either one of these worlds. Okay, so you're about to get dropped in folks. Enjoy the rest of the podcast episode. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. So glad you're with us. Here we go. Okay, I feel like I uh, do I, I have a well-known special abilities, yes or no? Do I, or, or well, this is my this is my question. So we want to clarify. So I, yeah, I have questions about superheroes. Superhero esque. Okay. Do they foil plots of some yes. type? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Okay. And okay. is there one consistent um, villain? No. I 
I am. I'm, I think I'm going to need a hint, which okay, is crazy. Okay, we can give you a hint. Okay. Okay, so here's your clue. We're in an animated world. That should lock it up for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I could have gotten there. We're in an animated world. It's not live action. Yeah, of course not. It's... Oh! Well... <laughs> yeah, go for it. Am I in the Toy Story series? Yes, oh, of course I am. Uh, yeah, oh, that's so great. So I'm either Buzz or Woody. Am I Buzz Lightyear? Yes! Yes, yes you are. <laughs> Wow! He's a superhero. He's not really a. He then kind of thinks of himself as a superhero. I will accept that as yeah. a response. I do yeah. not hold it against you. <laughs> and so that, that was nice work. Good work. <laughs> nice wow! Work. Good that was that was a tough one. That was fun to see how your brain works. Like I had a nice time watching you puzzle through that. Like instead of the cat scan, they should just give people <laughs> these clues. People a yeah, it's really fascinating. And the whole time through, I was thinking. That's the clue that would that would flip the switch. Yeah, right. Yeah, if and I could just... About live, yeah, yeah, right. Because yeah, you kept thinking it was all like live people, live people, live people. And if we had gotten that one early on, I think... It would have been a different would have game. would changed it. Yeah. So, I also did get stuck, and, and you're right, but that was reinforced by the fact that there's an actor who plays him. And it's true. Right? Yes. Right? Right, there there voices Alan. him. Yeah. 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 So, and I was very close with the Tom Hanks. Very close. So close. Is his name Tom? Tom. Like, oh, no. uh, I, I, so, by way of, of on transitioning from the actual playing of the game to what why, why puzzles. Talking about the game. I think that that's a really interesting observation in terms of the way that we can get stuck when trying to solve a problem in very particular interpretations we have of the situation that we're in. And that those those may not necessarily be givens. We think they're givens. We think that they're unmovable or unshakable, or this just has to be the way things are. And the idea of questioning our assumptions about things that we hold to be true can be a very very powerful experience. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And I don't know whether that falls into certainly improvisation is all about looking at things with fresh eyes. And I know mindfulness has a beginner's mind idea of you don't know anything, so mm-hmm. anything can be could be. True. Well, what I felt in that experience was that um, there was this tension of, as an improviser in particular, you're trained to step boldly into it. You don't know anything, so just start anywhere and go for it and be bold. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I tried to just jump out there and and guess some things. Um, But you could play the game differently, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You, there's a tension there, like the mindful version of the game might be slower, more deliberate, and more mm. thoughtful. Mm. And, and I think that's part of why I was interested in talking about puzzles and games, because it depends on the player and what they like mm-hmm. and what the other people like as to what's fun and what you prefer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll get into more into that. Okay. Uh, there's a, one other piece on this little, from the Botticelli exercise I wanted to mention, which is we've talked about the notion of misinterpreting information we get. So in this case, what was the one that we were just talking about? The superhero thing? Oh, the the superhero, right. So superhero, you went to Marvel and DC and was like, well, that's partly because the information wasn't exactly correct, but that's where your mind went. That's right. There's also the information that we don't know that we don't have. So we're not misinterpreting it. We just don't know. We're doing the best we can. We haven't thought to ask it or to look for it. Like, is this an animated world? And so... I think that same kind of thing happens in our lives too. We, 
there's information that we get, like, oh, that person's not talking to me. I'm going to make my translation about what that means versus, you know, I don't even know that this person's available to talk to me right. and could mm-hmm. help me solve my issue or yeah. whatever yeah. it is. So you, 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 build, you build an assumption on a false premise or a false right. foundation and you don't even think to question that foundation. Yeah, humans are really good at that. Right? Really good. We're, and we evolved because of that. Yeah, and it's a, a wildly, wildly po- positive, <laughs> you yeah. know, adaptive yeah. skill and practice that we have. All right, so I have a question for both of you, uh, and and maybe I'll ask you it myself too. But we were just you were saying that you particularly like word puzzles and logic puzzles, and I was thinking about how. There are all different kinds of puzzles. Right? I, I love puzzles like that too, wordplay and poetry and alliteration. And then there's like the hand puzzles, like a Rubik's Cube or the ones that you get that are wooden blocks that fit together in a certain way or the mm-hmm. metal shapes that you have to bend around each other. And then there's also jigsaw puzzles. Like that's for me when I think of puzzles, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. And there's all these different ways of going about them. They each have their own lessons or insights. But when you, if you think back to puzzles as a kid, what comes to mind? As a kid? Yep. Like your a first memory of puzzles or something, you know, where where you have you have a distinct memory that's got some emotional juice to it, or oh yeah, I got this one. That's like my whole childhood. Is, yeah. Is oh, what? Puzzles. What kind yeah, of puzzles? puzzles? So, All kinds of puzzles. Well, it started with jigsaw puzzles, right? I mean, you had the little kid's puzzle with like six pieces and you put it together and that sort of thing. But um, I was a nerdy, precocious kid. And so I like to challenge myself. And so I, my parents will still tell the story of me mixing together five and six different puzzles. And then <laughs> tried. So this is not to pat myself on the back, but just say how much of a nerd I was. Um yeah, and, and like that was always fun to me. There's something um, like you set yourself a challenge, and then yeah. you've got to figure it out. Well, and also that you can, and it's funny. I don't do this in some aspects of my life, but in others I do. If it's too easy, it's boring, and so I got to raise the bar, mm-hmm. right? So yes. I, you know, I started doing jigsaw puzzles upside down, like or turned over. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. Very hard. Very hard. Just, <laughs> just so. Is there anything on the backside? No, You're no. You're just going just, based on shapes. Just based on the shape of it. And so it's clearly it. not one of those puzzles where every shape is the same shape. Right. Um, actually, be... my favorite puzzle, jigsaw puzzle growing up, was a very cruel one. It was, on one side, was a multicolored hot air balloon against a blue black drop, blue backdrop. Yeah. And then the, on the other side was a sailboat on a blue sea and a blue backdrop with a multicolored sail. And so you literally couldn't tell what was one side and what was the other. Yeah, it was supremely challenging. Oh my god! Uh, and, this uh, is like I, whole next level puzzling. Yeah, I mean it's it's. <laughs> this is like in my family, we did a single balloon, a red balloon. <laughs> oh, I think there is a dip. There is more. There are more options between a single balloon. By the way, a single red balloon on a blue background. True, actually, very difficult. Very difficult. So it is. Let us check our mockery. It could my be friend. a beautiful puzzle. <laughs> Could be a beautiful puzzle, but yeah, I think that's amazing. Jig, jigsaw puzzles are definitely what are definitely my okay. definitive puzzle association, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what I love so much. Yeah, what did you love about them? I have come to love them more than I did. Okay, so it's not really a childhood love that I'm bringing into the. It's like I now love puzzles hmm. with a with a devotion. 
that is relatively new. Like I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. always love puzzles, but now I really love them because I find them actually quite meditative. They're like really like focus on one single thing in front of you. You've got you've got one job, but it can look like a lot of different ways. And I really like it's it's also very interesting to see the different approaches that different people take to puzzling. Mm-hmm. So when you Ted came over for Thanksgiving and suddenly talked all about the shapes of the pieces, which I have never. He's like, well, I've separated them out by which have three innies and one outie. He called them male and female, which I am like a little bit grossed out by for some reason. And so you like, went for innies see, and outies? Yeah, well, these belly buttons seem less graphic than imagining my puzzle pieces with tiny vaginas and penises. <laughs> Like, which is a male and a female. And some pieces having three penises and three... It's like yeah. grotesque of a nightmare. It's kangaroos just, have a forked penis, so, you know, it happens just, in the wild. Uh, it's funny. I call them male and female, but I didn't go that next level in my own mind. I don't know how you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, so this is a way that I've never done it. But, but I love it. I just, like, love putting all the... And it's so satisfying. I find it almost addictive when I get t- toward the end. It's like, I, I can't eat or leave... Like I need to finish this and put all the pieces yeah. in, and the but I've never done crazy. No, but many the, mu- many puzzles. The premise in is, or... is the same, right? It's yeah. it's about so. There's a, a really great book that I love called Flow, um, and oh, I haven't read it. Are you? But you've heard about it. Yo, sure. Yeah, this and, is by Mikhail Chiksamahaya. Doctor C. Yes. Uh, Dr. C. Uh, Just look up Flow. <laughs> yeah, go look up Flow. Uh, it's a phenomenal book, and it's about research and um, what makes things engaging and how do you get to a flow state, right? Mm. So different performers and um, athletes have talked about being in that kind of effortless mm-hmm. flow state. Um, and one of their key findings was that it needs to be attuned to the proper level of difficulty, because something that's too easy, you get bored mm-hmm. and distracted, and something that's too hard, you get frustrated. You shut down. Then yeah. you shut down. It doesn't feel achievable. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, what's interesting about that, and I think how that applies to obviously improvisation, but also mindfulness, is trying to kind of set and set that barrier, set that bar, yeah. right at that flow state. Um, and one of the things that's really important for that, and that puzzles give you, and I think this is why people really enjoy them, is they give you an instant feedback loop. You know if you're making progress or not. Yeah, hmm. it's real. You can you can see your progress right away. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's also with the flow state when so when I am teaching mindfulness courses, we talk about moving out of the thinking mind, which is judging, evaluating, um, planning, reviewing this kind of stuff, and moving into sensing mode. So what's here right now? What's happening in my body? What's happening in my thoughts? What's happening in my environment, and I think kind of what you were talking about, Lisa, like the jigsaw puzzles in a certain way can lock us into what is I'm holding this piece in my hand. There's a very sensory experience to puzzles, and I've got the visual cue, and I'm, there is some thinking about logic, but it's not spinning wheels about our own lives. We're like concentrated it's on this thing. Not analyzing. It's not like analytical. Yeah, exactly, and so it's it's kind of dropping in to to being here. And, and so maybe that contributes to the flow as well, having the right challenge calibration and then getting into a sensory mode. Well, and what is, I think, unique about something like a puzzle, in particular a jigsaw puzzle, is even though it varies from person to person, most people, when they sit down, know how they like to solve the puzzles. Mm-hmm. They have a general plan of attack. Yeah. And so that analysis piece 
you kind of turn that function off. And people can go for a long time not putting a piece in the puzzle or not making progress, but they have this utter faith that if that they'll they'll chip away at it and they'll work right. it out. Yeah. But there are a lot of things in our lives that you, we don't have that same feeling. That's about. such a great point. Yeah. yeah. That you that you will make progress eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think you know. We know this is achievable. We know we can do this. We know there's an answer, and it's in front of us, and it may be a longer road to get there. But I know that I'm going to put the edges together first, and then I'm going to group the colors, and I'm going to whatever, like do all those steps, and then eventually, even if it's very very difficult, I'll get there. And so, as a result, like I think the evaluative judging part of your brain can more easily be shut down. Very few people solve a puzzle and think, "Oh my gosh, this is taking me so long," right? They just think. I'm doing my bit. And so, you know, to maybe flip that to something else, like when you are performing on stage or let's say you're writing, you're writing a screenplay. Um, if you are writing and editing and evaluating the quality of your writing at the same time, it can be very inhibiting. Yes. Um, so it makes me wonder how, how can you create more scenarios where you have utter faith that it's going to work out? You know. Right. It's funny because I have that that kind of faith when I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle. I do not have that kind of faith if I'm doing a hand puzzle with like the things locked together and I have to find out how does this... I get, it, I get much more frustrated. I get way more frustrated. I'm like, ah, Forget it. I can't figure it out. And then sometimes I'll get it and I'll be like, what did I do? Yeah. I didn't even... <laughs> I have no idea what just happened, but it worked. Yeah. So, okay. So I was going to say that my memory is, is along these lines of challenge as well because... The two I have, the two memories I have, are one is um, my dad's side of the family, when we get together with my cousins, we still do this. Uh, for Christmas, each person, there's a, a small puzzle, it's, I don't know, maybe 30 pieces in a little box, and the box is wrapped up in Christmas wrapping paper, and we do a timed thing. Everybody's got a box, everybody's got their spot on a table, and you go. And you open up the box and you try to do it. And the puzzles are super easy. Mm -hmm. And they're only 30 pieces each. And I always want to win. I often do. I either usually either come in first or second. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't like that it's so easy. Yeah. I'd rather that they all be harder. Or I get frustrated with the difference. If one of them is super easy and one of them is hard, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. So that's one is I, I have that feeling of the the calibration of the difficulty matters to me. Mm -hmm. And then another is a memory of being at our summer house. Uh, well, we lived with someone who had a summer house on an island on a lake in New Hampshire. And there was no electricity there. And, you know, we had a hand pump to get our running water from the lake. And, um, and we would hang out with the kids at the house next door. There were three sisters who were all very sweet. Very cute. I totally had a crush on the middle one. I think you've mentioned her before. Sarah Grubbs. <laughs> I've mentioned Sarah Grubbs before. I think, Sarah Grubbs has made, I think she has made an appearance. Sarah, how are you doing? Uh, and we would hang out and do puzzles together and just have six, seven kids all around a big table and doing this kind of thing. And I remember the, the satisfaction of physically... Snapping in the last puzzle. Yeah. Clicking. Well, just even as you go, Anything. each one. Yeah. Oh, it fits. You know, so the, those are my two memories from when I was younger of, of the, wanting it to be a certain level of difficulty and then also the, the like huge satisfaction of, yeah, that piece goes there. Oh. I have two things. 
in reaction to that. Dos. Reaction, response. The first one is, with those hand puzzles, I am aware that I get frustrated when I really want to figure it out, the, the yep. manipulatable puzzles, and that I, I really remember the moment, the, the shift in my mind where it's like, you just got to futz with it. Like, don't even worry. <laughs> just futz. Like, just kind of turn it around in your hand, try different stuff, don't worry about it, don't even really think about it that much, mm-hmm. and then it's going to happen. And you're not going to know exactly how, but then futz with it some more to get it back together. So there was this moment of release in the, in the effort Tension. of trying to get it, which brings me to my second point, which is that nobody does the puzzle for the picture. They do the puzzle for the doing of the puzzle. Yeah. So it's a very, hmm. which, is a, which is an interesting, this is different than the, than the tasks that we lay out in our own lives. It's not, mm-hmm. ah, I just need a challenge so I want to go for this promotion. Generally, we really want the promotion or we really want to figure this out. We want the outcome to be a certain way. And in a puzzle, yeah, of course we want the outcome to be a certain way, but in that we want to solve it. But we're not doing it so that we can get to the picture. No, if someone came and and said, uh, I will swap out your puzzle for a completed picture of this. And then you will have done it. And then you will have done it. It's like, that's not at all. That's Mm. totally not the point. Oh, cool. So there's this joy in the doing of it that is... Real that is, I mean, that's the point, that's what it is. That's the, the right, you know. And so, what would it be like to take that kind of frame on our everyday experience? If we could, I mean, I think that's ultimately that that's that's mm-hmm. what we want, right? Is like you do the work, you can't guarantee the outcome, you do the work. And if you can enjoy doing the work or you do the work in the way that you want to, this is certainly the way that I then that's a success. Hmm. And that's absolutely the way I've come to look at improv, which is. You can't. You cannot guarantee this is going to go well, no matter how good you are, how good the improvisers you're on stage with are. There are going to be stinky shows that you do. Hmm. You're, there, there just will be. So you can't hitch your wagon to the outcome. You have to just know what work you need to do. And if you focus on the work, it is more likely that you'll get a good outcome. Hmm. But you can't. Fo- it's that. It's that. It's the futzing. You just got to futz with it. Right. Yeah. It's like your attitude toward the Which, futzing. For someone like me, can actually be frustrating because. I, if it just kind of happens yeah. and it comes together, I'm the kind of person who's like, less... not replicable. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm less delighted by that than maybe other people because I'm, I haven't learned anything. <laughs> mm. right? Now, at the same point, I completed a jigsaw puzzle. I haven't learned anything, but mm. I enjoyed the experience right, of it. So right. I think it's more the, like, the, 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 pu- the puzzles where it's broken until suddenly it's solved. Mm-hmm. There's something unfulfilling about it for sure, me. Sure, But... It feels like that's the first step, right? You're like, futz, and then it comes out, and you're like, oh, let me see if I can futz and put it back together. Yeah, great, great. And then you do it again, and you're like, oh, this thing seems to be... But it's more this sort of divergent thinking, or like opening yourself up to information in whichever way it comes, mm-hmm. instead of the systematic, like, I know how to solve puzzles. This is what I do first. This is what I do second. Right. This is what I do third. With, with jigsaw puzzles of like, I understand the framework of this, I think those hand puzzles can't really be that. It's way. more an open engagement with it. Yeah. And you used the word release early. I, I think of relax as well. This is reminding me of a concept from Hinduism called karma yoga. So, you know, usually when we think of yoga in the West, we think of uh, spandex and stretching and yoga mats and this kind of thing. And that's one type of yoga. So the word yoga comes from uh, the same root as the word to yoke, to bind together, to Mm. connect. And so yoga is uh, a pathway to the divine. It's a way to link yourself to the divine Mm. in Hinduism. 
And there are different kinds of yoga. So there's um, Hatha yoga or Raja yoga, the royal road, which is mind-body awareness, which is kind of what we mostly think of as yoga. But there's Jnana yoga, pathway to God through knowledge. There's Bhakti, pathway through devotion. Wait, is this like mind yoga? There is a mind yoga called Jnana yoga. Huh. Yeah. So that's coming to understand the nature of the world and finding a pathway to God through learning and, and, and clarity of thinking. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a different path, right? But the one that's related to what we're talking about is called karma yoga. And karma in this case means work. And so it's like you get a pathway to the divine by devoting yourself fully to what you're doing without being attached to the outcome. Mm. Huh. Wow. And you, the whole heart, it's as if you were giving it to God, full effort, but you can't, you can't worry about where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. And so that's a way to get to this experience of oneness with the divine. Mm. Um, Feels like Burning Man. <laughs> So so what's funny is I was about to say it feels like fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> Two very different things. Oh, this is good. So for our listeners, I recently left my job working as a fundraiser and uh, uh, for a university. And uh, uh, one of the things that I really loved about the way it was done at that institution was it was so focused on the process uh -huh. and the conversation and the interpersonal relationships. Um, and no focus at all on the result of dollars. Mm -hmm. do the it work. happened. It's do the work and everything else will follow. Yes. Yep. Right? So all the evaluation, promotion, all of that was just based on are you putting in the effort? Are you doing the work? Um, we can't control if people like us, love us, if the market's doing well, if it's doing poorly. Just do the work. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I loved that. Nice. Yeah. So how is it like Burning Man? How is probably <laughs> over like Burning Man? Only in that idea that you you build something and you and you care for it and you burn you destroy it. It's not about having the thing to take away later. Uh -huh. You burn it at the end of the week. It's a ton of effort, a ton of people's collaboration and join and joining together to create something, and then it's destroyed. It all goes away. Yeah. And you know when it started on Baker Beach, it was like a night. It was like you build a thing and then you and then you burn it. Well, to, to, to sorry, but to tie it back to puzzles. Yeah. What do you do when you're done with the jigsaw puzzle? You destroy it. You yeah. tear it apart. Very few people frame a jigsaw puzzle. Some people frame them, which I think is so funny. Yeah. It's like, just take a photo. <laughs> puzzle. They do. Yeah, no, thing. sure, sure. I've seen that. Yeah, this, well, this is like Buddhist sand mandalas, too. <laughs> Fundraising, Burning Man, and sand mandalas. Yeah, it was like, you know, we had, we had uh, some monks from Tibet come when I was teaching religious studies. They came to the school and they spent four days building a sand mandala. It's just amazing watching them, you know, uh, they put the little colored sand granules into these little uh, tubes and <laughs> scratch them out in a very intricate pattern. And they're doing it all by memory. And this thing emerges and it's unbelievably beautiful. Literally one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The vivid colors and the, and the, the way the, the patterns lay out. And it's, you know, an eight foot by eight foot table. And at the end of the four days, there's a little ceremony. And then they sweep the sand off into a bucket and they take it down to the nearest lake or river and they do a ceremony and they pour it in the river and it's gone forever. Yeah. And so the whole point is... Do the work. Is the doing. I have always felt like the the sand mandalas, if you haven't seen a video of it, you, you should, are perfect for like a BuzzFeed headline. Because oh, it's... Buzz Lightyear headline? No, no, no. But, oh, oh. oh, gosh. You're just going to stick it to me. But uh, like the headline is... 
These monks spent four days building this immaculate masterpiece. You'll you won't never believe guess what, what happens next. Because <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that, I was—I would almost say horrified. Yeah. Um, but so shocked. It. Yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it was—it was shock, is what it was. Because we're so attached to our accomplishments. Yeah. You know, to our what we get done. I mean, we put great art in museums. Yeah. That's what we do as a species. We say that's good. Yeah. Preserve it. Yeah. And yet, keep it forever. And and yet, so much of you know what the philosophy behind doing that and destroying it is saying, uh, you can't keep everything forever. So, is there a value to keeping stuff like that? I mean, do you keep? Do you, I, I, one of the things that was liberating about improv for me was the ability to treat theater as tissue paper. Yeah. To pull it out, look at it, use it, and, and throw, it throw it away. away. Yeah. So there is a there's a um, yeah. there's something liberating about being able to dispose. Totally. I and really, not being precious. I really love that about improv as well. That it's like this, maybe brilliant or maybe horrible. It's happening right now. This is all we have. It's gonna go away after that. It's like we can videotape some shows and stuff like that, but it, they don't wind up anywhere. And it really, if you're not in the room, you miss it because the point is the creation of it. As with all of these things. Well, what I wonder is on the mindfulness end, like, I, you know, having very little experience with it, uh, is there this, I've always assumed that it had a more precious, had more preciousness to it. Hmm. To say the thoughtfulness of, of mindfulness, the practice of meditation, for example, that there, that it's uh, maybe the opposite, but is that fair? The opposite of... Of, of the opposite of, of the ephemeralness of oh. improv. Oh, the ephemerality, the ephemerosity, the whatever that word is. Uh, I think they're quite in line, actually, because mindfulness is about coming back to the present moment, and the present moment is what we have, and it's always changing. And that when we really get there and get, get into that moment, we naturally see that everything is shifting. And so it's like, okay, I'll just let go. I'm not gonna try so hard to have it be the way I want it to be, and I'm not gonna fight it if it's not the way I want it to be. I'm gonna be with it. Um, but, and, I'm, and as we're talking, I'm wondering about, you know, so where, yeah, what's the place of history and a, a talisman and I, something I, that matters, yeah. Before we move on to yes. what, what we save, I think the other piece, the other way that it's very similar is that idea that it's not about the outcome, it's about doing the work. And that, so for instance, if you were like, I want to uh, do meditation because I've heard that it helps you relax, or I've heard that it helps you be happier, or I've yes. heard that it helps you focus more. And so you like meditate and then you're like, okay, am I better at focusing? You know, it's not, it's not going to work if you're meditating only with an idea of what you want to get out of the meditation. Or it might work to some degree. It might help you on those levels, but it's not going to do this deeper thing of like actually helping you be in a more enlightened state. You just have to like do it and let it and and let that be it and trust that trust that the outcomes will will mm -hmm. be there. But they they can't. You can't be kind of constantly searching for like did it work? It'd be like improvising, being like, is this funny? Is this funny? Is this good? Is this good improv? Is this good improv? And you just have to be like, mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to listen. I'm going to name my partner, and I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be in an environment. Like, I just have to do the work. Well, there is this whole trend. The good trend. comes later. There's this whole trend, and it's particularly in the Bay Area and the tech community, 
of the quantified self yeah. of being able to know your numbers and evaluate and track and measure and so much. I mean, I appreciate when things are evidence-based or science-based. Uh, I think that's one of the things that feels daunting about meditation from the outside <laughs> is, am I going to get any kind of feedback? How, am I going to have tangible results that this uh, helps mm-hmm. or that it, and how do you, I guess, you know, what part of what you're advocating is like, don't evaluate it. Don't evaluate the benefits, but there are benefits. Not at every moment, right? Not like at the end of the day, you can check your step count. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that you don't get immediate feedback on how many steps you take, you know that it's good. And so the immediate feedback is knowing how many steps you took. We know, like there have been a million studies that talk about how meditation and mindfulness and quiet time and gratitude, like these, all of these things lead to a healthy lead to to well-being in one way or another right they can mm. focus more people are more people are are less reactive to stress people you know like there's all these all of these benefits so we know that it's true so maybe we just need to shift the you know like what kind of benefits would you want now, you're, just, talking, like, now you, you're talking like a salesman i didn't i didn't i didn't finish any of those sentences but I, you get what i'm saying right like like in the same way that we know exercise is good for us, and so we do it because we know it's good. Even though I don't get an, I don't get an. Sometimes you get an endorphin rush, but you don't get an endorphin rush from having walked ten thousand steps, right? You know that it's good for you. Thanks, speak for yourself. I wonder if we need to. <laughs> I wonder if we need to place place we the 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 quantifiable self market need to place meditation or mindfulness in the same bucket. Which is, I know this is good for me. So the reward is knowing that I've done it. But, one of the things I like about what you're saying here, Troy, is that it's kind of tied in what we were saying about puzzles. Is there are different approaches. And I think it's a, it would be a mistake to think that there is a way to do mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And it has to look a certain way. So it's like, okay, if you want to track it and measure it, great. Let's keep a little journal, right? So today I did 10 minutes of sitting quietly. And I'm going to check in every two hours with myself. Give me three three words to describe my mental state, my physical state, my emotional state. Every two hours I do that, and I just keep a journal. And after two weeks, I go back and look. How did I feel in the days when I did 10 minutes versus how did I feel in the days when I did 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the weather like? Like, there are ways to track it, but it's not in every moment. Right. Checking the, is the, is the, are the biscuits done? Are the biscuits done? Are the biscuits done? Like, yeah. you know, I, it's got to be at least 10 minutes for the biscuits. And then I'll check. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think that resonates with what I know about that in that curiosity is an important part right. of, of mindfulness, right? And so, you know, looking, observing, sensing are important parts. And, and measuring can be a version of sensing. Uh, I think what is challenging in the modern era uh, it's true for health and exercise, uh, but it's I, I think is also true of mindfulness. Is we love games and things that give us immediate feedback, mm-hmm. um, and this is not necessarily one of those things. It might, right? You might get done twenty minutes later with just sitting quietly and go, "Wow, I'm so glad I did that. I desperately needed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did that while I was on a trip in Portugal recently, and I just sat out in the plaza." And did nothing for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I went, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's not always that way. Right. Yeah. And some days you feel worse. Yeah. Immediately afterwards. Yeah. I, I, this also, you know, 
is reminding me of the, something that happens with me in puzzles too, is sometimes I just need to get up and walk away. Yeah. Because I'm just too frustrated. And knowing when it's important to know when that time is. Yeah. Uh, other times I get into that trance state where like, I have to get it done. I have to get it done. Yeah. And like, actually, you know what? Just get up, walk away. You're not getting it right now. It's not, it's not in flow. Go do something else. Go for a walk, maybe 10,000 steps. Yeah. Or go play with a cat or go make some food or... And then come back and like, oh, and there it is. There it is, yeah. So you release a little bit. The release and, then it and relax. shows itself to yeah. you. So this actually ties in perfectly to the kinds of puzzles that I most do now. Okay. Which are um, these coded puzzles. So um, there are things called puzzle hunts uh, where it's an all-day experience or maybe four hours or maybe all weekend. You compete on a team. Like the game. Like the game. That's what it's, it's, it's based on. It's a thing called the game. Um, and imagine it being like a treasure hunt with coded messages mm-hmm. um, where a team has prepared this experience for all of the other teams. You go to a location or you start out and you're given a sheet of paper or an object and you are told that encoded within that some way, somehow is a solve answer or a solve phrase. And then you and your team have to tease this out and have to figure out mm-hmm. how to solve it. And it tells you where to go next. And it tells you either where to go next or you get an answer and then the, the game master tells you where to go next. So the most complex version of this is called the MIT Mystery Hunt. And it just happened two weeks ago. It happens MLK weekend and it's the entire weekend and I was on a team of 120 people. What? Who were spread across the globe but using the internet to all look at the oh same puzzles and, sh- and solve them together. So they might involve, you know, crazy knowledge, right? And you can use the internet and all that. But my point, though, is at any time, the the, the hunt um, has usually has between 100 and 150 puzzles in it that you need to solve in order to finish and win. Wow. Um, at any time, there might be seven or eight puzzles that are open and being worked on by the team. And so our best tips to new players and kind of our, like, zen of puzzle hunting is spend some time working on a puzzle and looking at it. But if you get frustrated or you get stuck or you don't know what to do, leave and go work on another puzzle. Mm-hmm. And if you've worked on that other puzzle and get frustrated and you don't know what, come back to one and you'll see it with fresh eyes. Mm. And so I, I think about it and it's so true. You know, we did, I worked on this puzzle for like an hour and a half or two hours. And we made like just enough progress to make you feel like you're going to break it and solve it. And then you didn't. And then we didn't. And then I had to go to bed and I slept and I woke up the next morning and I looked at it and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, of course it's an animated movie. Right, right. You know, right. things like that. Yeah. 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 Love that. Yeah. What is it about that unconscious like your brain just processing or information runs it in the background or it does or, or rests you give your brain a little bit of rest and then it's in better shape to see what's really there and it's also it goes to you get down a rabbit hole in your thinking when you're with it right right marvel and dc marvel the marvel DC. dc marvel dc right and when you come at it with fresh eyes and this is what we train people to do is just when you're handed a, a fresh puzzle like i could solve one in front of you right now um if i had one the first thing you do is just observe and note things that stand out to you. Mm. Huh. I noticed that all the words start with the letter B, right? That might be the edge that you need to kind of right. get into it or break into it. And so it's more... Fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. And I think about, like, so I was... <laughs> my mom taught me how to undo a knot. 
Uh-huh. Like, if you ever get, like, things mm-hmm. stuck in the nut. And she would say, like, you have to tease it out. The, the, the key to undoing a knot is creating space between the fibers and not pull, like, do no pulling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of think about that with, like, puzzles and with different really challenging problems. Is like, the harder you yank, the tighter the knot's going to get. Yeah. But if you just focus on, like, teasing out space, yeah. it'll eventually... Yeah. You, I like you talked about when we're, how, where are we getting this new information from or the new insight. You talked about fresh eyes or about creating space. You talked about... Like the back, it sounded like a computer thing, like a background processing. Yeah. The image that I had in my mind was of like just going to sit in a forest and letting some muse bring a gift to you. Uh. You know, like so you're just kind of waiting for the charmed rabbit or, you know, the woman with the, the glowing hair or whatever is going to come and say, here it is. This is what you need. Just you know, different ways of thinking about these things. You envision a charmed rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) We're thinking about oh, like there's a computer program running in the background. You're like you just gotta look at it in a new way. Well, so Elizabeth will arrive, and she will show me the way to solve this puzzle. Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, talks about this in the writing process about the muse being external to you yeah. and about your job is to just grab her, catch her, channel her. And if she's not there, she's not there. Yeah. yeah. It's not you. It's not, it's not a failing. That It's not a personal failing. Yeah. I haven't personally decided whether I agree with that or not. Well, we've talked about that some with improv scenes about the, and, and TJ and Dave in Chicago talk about this, that there's, there's a scene happening. There's a story happening. And if you're playing in this mode, your job is not to try to direct the scene or create it, is to step into it and serve it. You know, so it's like there's already something going on, and let me just be a part of it. Uh, I'm receiving the gift of this story, and now I'm contributing to it as well. Yeah, I just think for the the world of you know the creator, the playwright, the uh, I'm mostly focused on on writers, but. Uh, just because it seems to be something people can get blocked on. Mm-hmm. I know that it's liberating to feel like it exists outside of you or beyond you, and that, you know, so it absolves you of responsibility. But isn't that also, I don't know. It is, well, it's also, there's something, um, I think, inspiring about saying it's in you. It, it comes of you and from you, and then mm. you, you, you did create this. Yeah. So this concept in uh, astronomy physics uh, where you find the kind of center point of gravity between two bodies, right? So in the Earth and the Moon, uh, the center of gravity is actually within the Earth, but it's not the center of the Earth because the gravity of the Moon actually pulls that center of gravity out. Mm-hmm. Um, in some situations, the, uh, the two bodies, uh, the center of gravity is external to both bodies and in between them. So, for example, between you and me, our center of gravity will be somewhere between the two of us, external to both of our bodies, probably toward me because I weigh more and uh, (laughs) gravity is proportional to mass. Uh, (laughs) Brief physics lesson. That's right, brief physics lesson. I could lose a lot of weight if I just went to Mars. Uh, It's true. It's my new weight loss plan. Great. Uh, Unfortunately, I won't reduce mass. Anyway... uh, this made me think of, of this because it's true in improv. Um, we were talking about kind of the who's responsible and the creative spirit. Yeah. Is, is there some external show that we're tapping into or are we creating it? Right. Yeah. And, and you were saying it's like somewhere in between. 
right? And so maybe... It's built in between us, yeah. Yeah, and the question is, what what do you like or what do you believe? Is is that center point still within you, but maybe just not all about you? Uh-huh. You know, it's, I, I did this, but I had a lot of help. And I'm being tugged real strong by this other thing. Right, yeah. or does, does the main kind of point of responsibility live beyond you yeah. and outside of you? And in your improv shows, you were saying, you know, there's sometimes where I feel like, that center point of responsibility or of cleverness or whatever that word is still lived within you. It wasn't all about you, but if I graphed it out, yeah. it would be within My experience of it was like, man, I, I felt that. I felt that effort and work. And, yeah. yeah. And there are other shows or experiences where this other thing happens that has a gravity or a mass or a seriousness own. of its own. And, and it pulls us to it. It pulls us to it. And, and the, so the center of gravity between us to create the new experience is closer to that thing. That's right. And I think for a lot of people, improv is one of their first experiences of creating something wonderful and yet not having felt responsible for it. Yes. Right? Yes. Where it's, you know that that the credit belongs beyond you. Right. But you also know you played a role in it and it's so... So weird. It's so cool. It's yeah. Cool. It, it may be my favorite thing about improv. We talked about that on the shared control yeah. episode way back number four. The idea of contributing without controlling. You're not you're not responsible for it, but you but you contribute to it, you you support it. Right. And that most things are on a spectrum, yeah. right? But you could actually think about it physically. Right. I, I have a real issue with the word physically, because it can mean or related to your physical self, yeah. or but how do you describe things related to physics? Physically, physically, yeah, I'm proposing that word. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool image. Thanks Let's for mentioning get that. Physical, physical, physical. Oh, Let me hear your gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. that's cool. Thanks for that, sharing. I that love image. that image. There's a, gra- a point of gravity, a center of gravity between all of us, mm-hmm. and it's holding us together. And the stronger the ensemble, the, the kind of I don't know if it, this breaks down now, but like the stronger that is, it holds, yeah. really holds us. Or at least the more the more it exists in, in between, between in between us. people. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's just the placement changes. Right. So there's a center of gravity around the three of us around this table right now. Yeah. Right. Well, there's certainly a center of voice, and the the microphone is put in the proper position. We hope to we hope. balance. You know, it's farthest away the, from me because I'm The bellowing loud. Lisa Rowland in Troy Steinmetz. <laughs> the soft-spoken Ted Damizone. The mouse-like Ted Damizone. I'm like sitting on top of the microphones. <laughs> no, not really. But anyway, yeah, cool. Yeah, That's a cool. cool image. Yeah, thank you. So I think this ties back to a question about what you save. What's worth what's worth mm. saving a little bit, which is who get, right? Who gets credit? Because people who yeah, it's something it's, not, it's something in you. When you hear like geniuses talk about, you know, composers talk about how they thought up the tune or whatever, a lot of times they'll say, I, "It just popped into my head." So it was, it was a gift. not a, it was not a, a a product of effort or well, I guess this could be argued, training, or like I I worked and I worked and I wrought the. I wrought this tune, you know, like I worked it and I came up with it. It's like, it just kind of showed up, but you, but you could ask the question like, well, would it have shown up if you hadn't done your years of training and would it have shown up to you if you weren't open to it? Or maybe you've honed your skills of accepting those gifts. And so there are pieces of it that you can take credit for because this idea of like, yeah, improvisers, you just show up on a stage and you just do whatever's there. It's like, well, 
I've been working on for 20 <laughs> years on this. And that effort is not meaningless. Like that That's effort right. is not like anybody could do it if you're open enough. It's like there there are things that you it, it's a skill and a craft. Oh, yes. And so I think it's neither completely me or completely external. I think, but I think there is a combination of those two things. And then that, so then, right, the question of giving artists credit and, and. Yeah, who, who's responsible for it? And yeah, what we, and what we hang on to, what we, what we put in museums. Right. If it's the process of the creation that's, that's the most exciting part of it or whatever, are we saving, what are we saving? Right, there's something, there's something affirming or inspiring to be able to lean on a tangibility of like, I can go back to this and it's still there and it, it's either a beautiful piece of art or a song or yeah. something like, oh, this becomes a friend, you know? Yeah. But I, I love this, this question of who's responsible for, who's responsible for what we create and which is a healthier or happier or more productive way to be. Is it like, no, I'm, it's me. I'm responsible for this. Or is it like, oh, it's not me. I'm, I'm just getting out of the way and letting some come through. I think my, not surprisingly, my ideal is some balance of the two to say, or not even a balance. They're both simultaneously true. Like it's a paradox. Yeah. I am fully responsible and I have nothing to do with this. Hmm. I don't know what it is, but my, one of the subjects I nerd out about and read a lot about is the creative process and is writers and artists and how they do what they do like that just fascinates me totally the creative process uh, you need to you need to silence the judge mm -hmm. right you need to silence the editor in yourself um while you're writing so that you can write and so a lot of writers will talk about um i you know they're committing to writing this many words or this many pages and they don't care if it's complete crap mm -hmm. yeah and they will let either their editor or themselves the next day evaluated right uh, but they they have built to go back to your point of they've built a process and a discipline and a commitment so yes are there days that the muse shows up and you're inspired and you write great stuff mm -hmm. yes are there but but you write regardless you write regardless it's almost like you your job is making yourself visitable by the muse. That's right. Yes. So your job is yes. like, open the door, prepare the guest room, like make it so that should this show up, I am totally ready for it. And I think, and, and maybe that's it, is like the part that I can take credit for is that I've done my work and the part that I can't take credit for is sometimes it shows up and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But the fact that the best improv shows I've ever been in have felt effortless and I haven't known who was responsible for them, it's like, I can't say that it was... That something else did show up. My brilliance. It's mm -hmm. like I was there and I helped it along, but it didn't feel like I was like working to make it happen. Yeah. For, and then there's other shows where I'm like, oh no, that was work. Yeah. I did that. Mm -hmm. There was no inspiration here. That was skill. <laughs> yes. And they're less fun and generally less inspiring, but they're still okay. They're you fine. know. Yeah. I think of I do that with dreams. If I want to remember my dream, if I put my journal by my bedside, I'm way more likely to remember my dream. Mm -hmm. Huh. Because like that's the, I took the part I just did the thing you know let's pull let's pull this together so we, we're kind of uh, at time here impossible uh, this is the puzzle we're facing how do we bring the conversation together takeaways <laughs> yeah Take well it sounds to me like there we ended up kind of talking about two different things right yeah. we talked about puzzle and then toward the end we kind of talked about this idea of um, 
taking responsibility or the kind of agency mm-hmm. component. Yeah. I don't know if that how big of a how how much of a conversation that was, but I don't, I don't either. Don't... Well, it feels like there, another big piece of it for me is the is the is the process versus product focus on doing the work you want to be doing. The product is it it kind of will take care of itself. If it doesn't, you you've done the work you need to be doing. That that dichotomy of like process versus product when you when you do puzzles for the for the joy of the doing of it, not mm-hmm. for the end product. Mm-hmm. And and I was I'm noticing the the part of our conversation where we were talking about how puzzles help us narrow our focus and concentrate us in on what it is that we're doing. The all the different aspects of that experience of some some of it logical, some of it sensory, but just really being able to enjoy the single-mindedness of this is what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't mention doing that with other people. And what's the joy, like you were talking about, you this 100-person massive game. Uh, what is the joy of doing that with other people, and, and is that different from doing something solitary? But that's what I'm coming away with, is the, the single-minded focus time. I think another really big takeaway for me is the image of jigsaw puzzle pieces with penises and vaginas on them. That's a big takeaway. <laughs> big takeaway. I think that none of us should leave oh, this podcast without that image burned sharply. Let me just say, Troy, Thank you for joining us on Monster Baby. What a, yeah, I could talk to you forever. I, I like love talking to you about this stuff. So we're so happy that you came and we're our guest. Mm-hmm. A treat to have you with us. And um, it's going to be fun to, to share you with our little world. Yes. Uh, and so. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be a guest. And when will your episode be on? Uh, so I don't have a firm date, but it will be the last week of April or the first week of May, most likely, and some unless something goes catastrophically wrong uh, and uh, we'll I'll let the monster baby podcast Great. listeners know once I have an air date Great. please do cool well there it was everybody the inimitable Troy Steinmetz He's fun. I love that guy. I love that guy. It just He asks great questions. He thinks about stuff in great ways. I wish him all the luck in the world for Jeopardy. I'm really excited. I've never been more excited to watch a Jeopardy show. I know. I know. It'll be great. He's chatted with us several times about responding to the podcast. It's so really fun to be able to have him on and, and interact and, again, have that experience of being with an improviser and feeling like our conversation can just go and flow and we're all going to get to talk and each going to listen, each going to contribute. Yeah, which I don't think is unique to improvisers, but it is a skill that improvisers practice. That's right. For all those of you out there who are not improvisers but are thinking, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> of course I, you do. I kind of, on the heels of this conversation, I kind of want to go get a puzzle. Mm. I like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And I realize that I am... I'm fonder of jigsaw puzzles right now than I am of other types of puzzles. Great. And I that feeling of like when you get it finished and you can just rub your hand across the smooth, yes. glossy surface. Yes. That's oh, the best. Lovely. Mm. But it's only good because of the work you put into it. I don't want to rub my hand over somebody else's puzzle. Well. You can quote me on that. <laughs> 
I'm not going to say how I feel about other people rubbing hands on my puzzles. Okay. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We have a couple of pieces of news for you. Things to keep in mind. Number one, we have a Facebook page. Facebook page. So Monster Babies on Facebook, and we're going to use that to roll out episodes and let you know when there's a new episode to listen to. So just go to Facebook and look for Monster Baby Podcast. Yeah, and maybe you've already subscribed yeah. directly to iTunes or Google Play, and then it just comes right to you and your phone. Yeah. And great. But we can, we'll can we'll post news about upcoming episodes and news in the world of the Monster Baby Podcast. So take a look. Uh, what else? Well, as always, if you would be so kind, because we know you are so kind, uh, as to go to iTunes and write a review, that'd be immensely helpful. Yes. Uh, Share this with people that you think would like it. If you want to play with us, uh, yeah, yeah, time for that. If you want to play with us, come join us in Maine, June 9 to 14. 13. 9 to 14. 9 to 14. June 9 to 14. And there's new news about that, which is that we got set up to, uh, if you're a teacher or a therapist or somebody of this sort, you can now get uh, three units of professional development education awesome. credit. So good. Graduate level through the University of Pacific. So yeah, we'll give you details about that, but spread the word. If you've yeah. got teacher friends who need something to do over the summer to do their professional development. It'll be worth your while. Send them our way, man. Okay, is that all? I think that's it. We're so happy that you listened. We hope you liked it, and we hope you'll come back next time. Right on. We love you so much, and uh, big hugs. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao.